So how do you spell mother? That's really easy, right? But this is kind of a trick question, all right? Here's how you spell mother. L-E-A-D-E-R. Because to be a mother is to be a leader. I've had the privilege of serving on some of these uh, nonprofit boards over the last few years. I'm doing less of those now, but we would, I've been, I was in a situation once in which we were trying to nominate board members and someone's name was brought up and the question was, well, what's her qualifications? And someone says, well, she's a young mom. And I thought, that makes her highly qualified because she's having to manage uncooperative people with a very low budget and very little sleep. That is leadership, people. So to be a mom is to be a leader. Today's lectionary text from the gospel is John chapter 17. And I'm, the title of this message is Jesus, because we're going to learn a lot about Jesus. Jesus, moms, and leadership. And if the word leadership is scary to you because people kind of get nervous, like leader, I'm not a leader. Well, if you are a friend, you are a leader. Right? Because we lead our friends. We influence our friends. So we can actually expand. If you want to expand the sermon title, if you're taking notes, we can say, Jesus, Mom, Leaders, and Friends. This is sounding really cozy, isn't it? Really a nice title. Uh, John chapter 17, we'll talk about that in a second. But let me tell you about one of the great moms of history. A lady named Susanna Wesley. She lived in, you know, late 1600s, early 1700s, and she had, she gave birth to 17 kids, but 10 survived. And of those 10 that survived, uh, she was very dedicated to their spiritual formation. Susanna Wesley was a pastor's wife, and her husband traveled a lot because pastors have this way of finding conferences and uh, speaking engagements and leaving their young families behind so the wife has to take care of them. I have only heard about this. That's, that's not, that doesn't actually happen, right, Beth? I'm just publicly apologizing for what I did when the kids were younger. Um, but, of course, this was a different context, but history does tell us that um, Susanna Wesley's husband did travel quite a bit. They were very poor. They had a lot of challenges with illness as as is manifested in some of their children and relatives. And even their very house burned down twice. They lost all of their possessions. But Susanna Wesley was known for her family devotions. And she had a system in which she invited her children into spiritual formation, and they began to learn the disciplines. Well, her kids did some great things for God. Charles Wesley wrote, Dozens and dozens, and you could even say a few hundred hymns of the church, some we still sing today. And John Wesley was the founder of Methodism, the Methodist church which led to the holiness movement that led to the spirit-filled movement. And he developed this system for people to become holy. It was a method of Bible reading, prayer, and he became one of the most famous religious leaders of our day. Do you know where he learned his system? He learned a system from mom. A young mom who realized that the souls of her children were worth her attention. And I see, as I'm just kind of looking, I've been, I've been pacing this little stage back and forth and seeing all of these great moms in our church that I admire. Some of you are empty nesters. Some of you have really small kids 
either in nursery or children's ministry today. And we, we, we have some great ladies here who, who have that same spirit Susanna Wesley had. We also have great single ladies who just mentor our kids and do incredible things and great leaders here. So I'm going to talk to moms, but can you do me the favor and just don't check out if you're not a mom. I want you to apply this to any type of leadership that you're in. Because here's the truth. God has brought people into your life as a divine appointment. They may be coworkers. They may be a parent. They may be um, a spouse. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about children, neighbors. You interact with people for purpose because God has people in relationship with you because he wants to use those relationships to build his kingdom, to build his kingdom in you, through you, and to those around you. And so we're going to find some principles. And my wife, Beth, when she read the scripture earlier, she kind of started my point early, and I'm so glad she did. I told her, I asked her to do it again because she was so eloquent in this, is that one of the things that we struggle with is, is idolatry of our children. And here's my first point that I want us to, to meditate on. You can write this down if you're taking notes in the review. You can uh, fill in these blanks. They are his entrusted to me. Now, this applies to your friends. Your friends, you don't own your friends. God trusts you with friendship. You don't own your students if you're a teacher or a coach. You don't own your employees even if you sign their paycheck or determine their pay. You don't control them. Every single person in your life is a gift from God. Every single person. And children are the same. Children are gifts entrusted to us to give back. And Jesus demonstrated this. In John 17, this is really Jesus' prayer. The, we call the Lord's Prayer the sample prayer he gave us. But this is an idea of how Jesus prayed to the Father. Very personally and very relationally. And John 17 is a really wordy, complex passage. But here's basically two things Jesus said. God, will you protect my people, and will you make them holy? How many of that's the heart of a mom, a heart of a dad, a heart of a friend? Lord, protect. Protect and use my friend. Protect and use my child. Protect and use my protege, God. Lord, you use them. Here's what Jesus said in verse 6. I have revealed your name to men. You gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you, because the words that you gave me I have given to them. Look at that sense of deference back to the Father. They were yours, you gave them to me. All things you have given to me are from you. And one of the things that we need to be careful with our language, we're, you know, and, and on a practical term, it's okay, my kids and my employees and my people. Sometimes we just, we use that very practically. But we have to be careful that we're not actually believing that. Like, I own these little guys. I own these little people. You know, our children are given to us for a season, for a time. They're given to us for an era. We have people pass through our life different times. We may be in a small group. And, and, and often small groups, uh, really small groups, are not meant forever. 
If, if a small group's not growing and adding people and changing, it's going to become stale. So we have these small groups of friends, and they kind of pass through our life, and they remain our friends, but then we get new friends. Whenever you start trying to hold on to your friends, you'll ruin your friendship. You know, the term, my best friend, we, we don't really have a best friend. Best friend is a tier, not a person. So I have like 20 best friends. But when we had that like best friend, like they're mine. That's a, they're mine. So when I need them, I want to make sure they're not, they're not connecting with any other people because I want them available because when I plan my vacation, I want my best friend to go with me on my vacation. Or, or when I'm having an emotional crisis, I want to make sure my best friend's available so I hope they don't get close to somebody else. Do you see that kind of insecurity actually ruins the gift God's given us? We've been given a gift, but then we begin to possess it. We begin to own it. And what we possess and own and hold on to begins to spoil in our closed hands. Often we might think of this about our parents. Some of us may wrongly believe, like, oh, how can I function without my parents? How can I function without my mom? How can I function without my dad? And I think that it's, it's, it's wonderful to honor our parents. We need, more, we need more honoring of our parents and more appreciation for um, those who are mentors and that are older than us. But here's the deal. We're going to be with our parents forever and ever. But for most of us, most of us, there's going to be a gap between their death and our reunion in heaven. And if we can't even bear the thought of that, if we're not able to receive that, we're not able to accept that, then we're not, we're not fully trusting God and his plan. And we have to realize that our parents are gifts to us. We don't own our parents. We don't own our parents. They're, they're part of our lives, and they're an irreplaceable part of our lives, but they're, they're something that we hold loosely because they belong to God. Every relationship belongs to God. Every relationship points back to God. And this is a question of trust. Can you trust God with the relationships in your life? Can you trust that God knows the hearts of all human beings? So, so when, when the disciples were trying to find a replacement for Judas, we, we find this uh, little insight in Acts chapter 1, verse 24. They prayed, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which, uh, show us which of these two you have chosen. And the, the scripture was a reminder to me that, like, I think I know my kids, and I'm probably positioned best to know my kids, me and Beth are. Um, hopefully we are. But really only God knows their hearts. Only God knows their hearts. That, that's one of the ways we know we have to trust him. We have to trust him. And I'm kind of stuck between a lot of you guys. We, we have a church of, of empty nesters, some of you who have... Your, your children are in adulthood, and then we have a lot of kids in this church and a lot of teenagers. I'm, my first child is graduating from high school this Saturday. She was the young lady uh, leading us in worship today. My, my firstborn son's a sophomore in high school, and Lincoln is an eighth grader. So, so my kids, yeah, I'm about to lose the first, and the second one is really close behind. Now, I'm not going to lose them, but the season is going to change, right? The season of life is going to change. And it's going to look different. Now, a lot of people have asked me, like, are you, are you okay? Are you crying a lot? Well, that may be coming. So you may get the last laugh on me because I cry pretty easily. Sometimes I'm up here preaching, and all of a sudden I start crying. That's a bummer. That's a bummer. It's the way God humbles me. So hopefully that won't happen today or any other day. I don't like it when that happens, but it's like, man, I'm going to cry again. So, but people, people have been asking me, like, are you, are, you, are you okay? Are you crying? I'm, actually, I'm, I'm happy. 
I, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm glad, Abby, that you're, you passed high school. You didn't flunk a, a few grades. So that's a, that's a great thing. So, so that's, that's a good thing. But, but I'm also happy because um, I, I know she's going to be such a gift to this world. And I feel like, no pressure, that we're going to be, be partners in ministry. And I don't know what that looks like. Like, I hope she lives here in Tennessee, but she's going to college three and a half hours away. I hope and I encourage her. I want her to study abroad for a semester. I hope that works out. And, and maybe go to graduate school somewhere else. I, and, and then wouldn't it be great if she comes back? But maybe she won't. The point is, I don't own her. I don't own her. She's a gift to the world. She's a gift to the world that, that I have to release back to God. I have to give to him. I, I can't, you know, she can't be my idol. My, Luke can't be an idol of mine. These are people that God has given me, and they've entrusted to me, and I've been able to, to be part of their lives. And now, by God's grace and hope, they're being launched into the world for kingdom purposes, not to fulfill Aaron and Beth. Do you see that? You know, there's a phrase that... Almost all of us have used, and I've used this too. So don't feel bad when I tell you this, but I think it's an unhelpful phrase. I've used it before, and, but it sounds really important. Here's the phrase. It's all about the kids. Just all about the kids. I've used that before too because it just sounds noble and good, like we're sacrificing for the kids. But the whole attitude, it's all about the kids, have produced self-centered, entitled spoiled children. It's not all about the kids. It's about the community and how the kids fit into the community. It's about not just how to make the kids happy in the moment. It's about how the kids will relate to people around them. It's about how the kids will learn how to function in a society. And it's really, if you really unfold the phrase, it's all about the kids. It's a lot of times, it's about me enjoying my kids. It's about me feeling important are me living vicariously through them. And so, yeah, I'm going to eliminate all this stuff in my life, and I'm not going to work as much, and I'm not going to be as involved in church as much. I'm not going to be involved in civics because it's really all about the kids. But the truth is, a lot of our extracurricular activities, we enjoy more than our kids. And we're really not serving them. And it may be God's will for you to change your kid's schedule to expand their hearts. Maybe it's God's will that they take a season off or they, are they cut out of class. Uh, uh, are, are they reduce an instrument? But they expand their hearts before God. Oh, this is turning into a parent seminar. We had one Friday night. And here I am doing this again. Hey, guys, we, you know, I don't have this figured out. And you don't have this figured out. But, but I'm learning to trust God because I'm between some of you guys and here, and, and, as far as the development of my kids. And I realize this, that as my kids get older, I have to trust God more because I can't control them. Nor is it appropriate for me to control them. Abby at 18, Luke at 16, I, I've got to let them have freedom. I've got to let them make their own mistakes. And sometimes our kids, they need to be hurt. And they need to be disappointed. And they need to be able to experience a process of life. And when we cut that short and protect that and don't let them use that, they're not fully human then. If they've just been protected all the time, they're not fully human. How, how many of there is there is that balance? And, and protection is very important. And that leads us to our next point. Now, my wife, Beth, 
She's a woman of God. She loves the Lord. She's been a worship leader for over 21 years. She, she is sweet. But if you want to see fire in her eyes, it's when mama bear's cubs have been harassed. And it's nasty, guys. Now, this, what's really bad is when I'm the one mama bear wants them all because I've been mean to them or something. That's not good either. But she can correct them all day long. But if someone else criticizes them, criticizes them or makes fun of them or gets on to them, mama bear, she's ready to go. She's ready to go. Uh, often, it's funny how mothers may be um, scared of a little bitty insect that they could squish. But if a bully picks on their child, they'll attack a bully five times their size with no intimidation. Because protection is part of what we do. Here's my second point from John 17. They are his entrusted to me. Then I protect, nurture, and prepare. Number two. And I put those three verbs in sequence for a reason. Because protection is important. And we are to protect our children. And we do that through safety measures. Uh, just the most common things of how we transport our kids and, and the nutrition we give them. But we also have this, this responsibility to protect them from wickedness and evil. And that's why it is, oh, I'm about to tick off teenagers. Sorry, teenager, I'm about to make you mad. Uh, that is why we are responsible to monitor our kids' entertainment. Because we're protecting them from evil. And if, if you haven't done that, don't think it's too late. All you have to do is engage. And this is the only consequence. They'll be mad at you for about three, three or four weeks. That's it. Hey, if your kids aren't really ticked at you at some point, eh, you may want to evaluate some of your decisions. You see, I'm not worried about being my kid's friend when they're 14. I want to be my kid's friend when they're 44 and 34. And so I protect now. Protect them from physical things. It's amazing to me about how uh, people will give all kinds of organic food to their kids and spend hours preparing organic food but won't monitor the music they listen to and the shows they watch and stream. Isn't that crazy? Maybe you, could do, you should do both. Because I'm an organic chef. I didn't know if you know that on the side. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so we protect. But then if you protect your children but don't nurture them, then they're, they're going to be bitter towards you. So there's the idea of nurturing them and bringing out their personality and bringing out their God qualities. And then after that, they're prepared. Let's go back to the scripture. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. There's the theme again. Further down, look at verse 15. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And we must remember, guys, that, that we understand spiritual warfare, that it's not just a student's personality or their preference that are causing decisions to happen. It is also forces of evil that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're to protect our kids and nurture the life of God in them and, and then prepare them to be sent off into the world. If you look further in verse 21 and 22, we don't have it on the screen, but you'll see that one of the things that, that happens when children are protected 
or when God's people are protected and nurtured is there's unity. That's one of the goals. Because the father and the mother loves it when their kids get along, don't they? Hey, man, sometimes it feels few and far between, but it does happen. I have my older sister is right here. Raise your hand, Shelby. Then I have a good relationship with my brother. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we may have fought growing up, but we, we're very close now. We're very, very close. Uh, and um, that's that kind of love that happens. Honestly, me, me and my sister didn't fight growing up, but just to be honest, I don't want to talk about that at lunch later. Yeah, we didn't fight, but me and my brother fought, and uh, we fought, but we're good friends now. And so, so it is that, that the, outcome, the outcome of protection and nurturing is this, this type of interaction that brings unity. And I know some of you may be uh, only children, and that's fine. Don't feel self-conscious about this because God works through through. That, that family arrangement. But siblings are such an opportunity for us to form as adults. And all of the interaction we have, you know, like fighting about legroom in the back of the car and taking turns for the bathroom and sharing a bed on vacation, all of those things that are annoying in the short run actually prepare us for success in the future. And so God uses that and he's using that unity. The, the junior high down the street, Knox Doss, they, they had this, this play, uh, West Side Story, uh, that these 12 and 13-year-olds put on. And it was so fun. And my, my youngest son, Lincoln, was part of this. And I had so, so, so much fun watching him do um, Officer Crumpke. Is that what it was called? Yeah, it was a song that he sang. I want to show you this picture real quick because he likes it when I talk about him. Uh, my other one does it, but isn't that a great picture? So look, 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 he, look at that smile. He's loving it. My oldest son just threatens me. Don't mention my name. Don't claim me. I don't want to be your son when I'm at that church. Lincoln loves this. Now, now I'm idolizing my children, so let's take the picture off. You know, we said, don't, don't, don't idolize your children. And here I am putting a picture of them, a graven image right here in church of him with his hands in the air. But at the end of that, when the curtain call came, there's another family that we're, we're in the community we're good friends with, and, and Nick was one of the co-stars with Lincoln. And he has an older brother, Cooper, who's probably 19 or 20. And when the curtain call came out, and it was Nick's time, no one, everybody was sitting, and Cooper stood up in the air and said, that's my brother, and started putting his arm around. And it was awesome. I loved it. It made me feel so good. Uh, and, and Cooper is a very outgoing guy anyway, so uh, that's part of his personality. And, and it was just awesome to see that. It made me think, what, what, how great is it when we see siblings love one another, right? And, and that's what God wants us to, to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's part of the unity that he's building. For the last couple of weeks, I've been organizing um, areas of my life. There's this closet back in my office that I, I'm, I'm generally an organized person, but this is the closet where all the extra junk has gone for years. And when I say years, it's true. When I opened this closet door, I was eye level with the pile that had, that had built up. And so I spent two or three days, I, I totally cleared out the closet and emptied it. And then I found all kinds of important stuff that Either I had forgotten about or had been missing, and so now everything's either in the dumpster or put away somewhere good. There was a candle there. Have you ever heard of these wood wick candles? Man, they're awesome. You, you light the wood wick, 
And it smells like a fire, it sounds like a fireplace right next to your ear. It reminds me of my, my grandparents' basement. There's my Uncle Richard, the house you grew up. I'd go down there, it has the smell of it and the sound of it. And I, re- I remember getting that candle and thinking, this is awesome. But I got it during the summer, so I said, I'm going to put it in the closet. Because this winter, I'm going to light my woodwick candle with coffee on a winter day. Doesn't that sound nice? But it put it in the closet, and then other stuff piled up. And that was years ago. That was like seven years ago. The candle had been lost in the closet. So when I cleaned it out two or three weeks ago, I found my woodwick candle again. It was back at home on my desk. Here's the thing. For the last seven years, this candle had been safe, unharmed, unbothered, but... It had not been used at all. There's a time, there's a season. We protect, we nurture, but we have to send out our kids. We can't just hide them away. We can't just put them away. That's not God's will. It's God's will that at the appropriate time that we launch them off. So it is. Here's my third point. I release and they are used. I release and they are used. Look at verse 16. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I want to invite our ushers to begin to prepare to distribute communion for this second Sunday of the month when we take communion together. Maybe I'm strange and maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe some of you who are older than me are laughing internally because my day is coming, but I'm actually excited that my kids are growing up. I am. I'll, I'll miss Lincoln being 14. I'll miss Abby being 18. But I, I know this is that God has a plan for them. They are gifts given to me. Luke is a gift given to me that we give back to the world, a gift we can't control. Hearts that we don't even know, that only God knows their hearts. But they're partners in the advancement of of the kingdom. So I want you to hear this. I typed this out earlier this week. Kids are not for your pleasure, though you may experience that. Children are for God's pleasure, therefore the advancement of his kingdom. I want you to hear that again. Kids are not for your pleasure, though you may experience that. Children are for God's pleasure and the advancement of his purposes. Hey, here should be our goal. Our psalm for the day, the lectionary psalm is from Psalm chapter 1. This should be the goal for our children. It says this, blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. If you could put Psalm 1 up for me, I'd appreciate that. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is a great God. Give us 
men and women who don't sit down with scoffers, who don't stand in the way of sinners, but they go to the way of the Lord. Lord, give us men and women of God who delight in you that even when difficult seasons come, they don't wither because they're fruitful in the time of famine. They're fruitful in the time of the desert because they are planted by the rivers of God, by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. This is our destiny. Fathers, mothers, aunts, uncles, mentors, Awana volunteers, frontline volunteers, nursery workers, neighbors, teachers, coaches. You are investing in the next generation. And when you invest in the next generation, God begins to invest in you. He begins to flow in you. He begins to flow the life of his spirit, the life of his truth. And he begins to establish your ways. Some of you have a strong call on your life for leadership, for friendship, for mentorship. If you're not ready to be a leader, just be a friend. Be a friend to someone. Reach out to someone. Love someone. Um, um, be, be Jesus to someone. And you begin to see what God does in, my, in our midst. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you, Lord.